this chapter feels like it's from a different book, but I think, or like a different series to me. Really? I think it's just because it's been so long since a non-financial <laughs> and non-like emotional scene happened. Finally, action is taking place. Yes, and it's interesting. Not. <laughs> I mean, fair though. All of this stuff is interesting, but like, it's this is very interesting. Been, it's been very character, yes, conversation heavy recently. Yes, and I don't want that anymore. Give me more of the intrigue, which I think that's done beautifully. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 17, Marooned. Marooned. <laughs> That's for my Taylor Swift fans out there. <laughs> nice. This chapter was Marooned. <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> we're with Kenneth this chapter. The whole way through, actually. Yeah. We get just Kenny boy. He's woken up in the middle of the night and he has decided to do something. Well, I don't know that he's woken up or that he was sleeping, but it is the middle of the night. Yeah. Ada lifted her head from the pillows as he sits up and he scowls and says, go back to sleep. He commanded her. If I need you, I'll tell you. Instead of looking chastened, she gave him a fond and drowsy smile and then closed her eyes again. Her placid acceptance of his independence was almost unnerving. At least she was coming to accept that he didn't need her damn help with everything. She had been tiresomely helpful in the weeks of his convalescence. Several times, he'd had to roar at her before she would retreat and let him take care of himself. So it has been a couple weeks since he's been healed... We haven't really spent a lot of time with Kenneth during this passage of time. Off and on, we've had a couple paragraphs, but... Yeah, I think the last time we were with Kenneth, he had decided to live again. He was kind of delirious still and had accepted... I don't know if it was healing that happened, but something transpired between him and... Wintro, where Wintro laid hands over him, and then he was like, yeah, I'm ready to live again. It's, <laughs> so I think that's when we last left off with him. We also have him promising Wintro when he asked Wintro, what do you want to do with your father? Yes. And that's important in this chapter. And Wintro's just like, I don't want to be around him, but I don't want him to be hurt. <laughs> yeah. like Just somewhere safe out of the way. I don't want him dead. Emphasis on please don't kill my dad, but like, I don't like him either. <laughs> so, yeah. So a lot has happened since then. And Kenneth has kind of gained more of the sense of himself. I think it's been a while since we've had Kenneth at full health and not mm -hmm. even maybe full health, but at a place where he is himself and not yeah. this like wounded creature that is grasping onto life. He feels more alive here. We find out he has a peg leg yes. and 
I highlighted a sentence in here that kind of shows how much he has changed already from the first book. It says, he, he's pulling on his trousers over this peg leg, and he frowns at it. The woman would have to come up with a better arrangement. He would tell her so in the morning. And he never wanted Etta, first of all, to be part of his life. Second of all, to be on the ship for a long time. And right. third of all, to be involved in anything. And she's kind of made herself useful. And he complains about her being so helpful and not leaving him alone. Which, I get it, if you're cooped up in a bed all the time, <laughs> you yeah. gotta feel kind of helpless. Especially Kenneth. Yeah. But in his head, he's already like, well, she needs to fix some things. Yeah. I think what I have really seen in this chapter especially is that Kenneth has a thing about not wanting to like people. He doesn't and want to be dependent on them either. No, he doesn't want to be dependent on anyone. He doesn't want to admit that he likes people. Yeah. And I think that shows especially here because, spoiler alert, we're going to meet his mom. And I think the way he treats his mom and the way he treats his past that we find out bit by bit as we go throughout this chapter really show a little bit more of that damage that Igret has done, the permanent damage where right. there's still a man standing on the outside, but the inside of his heart has been burned <laughs> and destroyed by this person who has taken everything from him. And that doesn't just go away because he killed him or because Kenneth killed Igret. Kenneth still has the scars of people will take from you no matter what. And so you have to not have anything show that like you can't show other people what they can take. Yeah. And with kind of being partially forged by Paragon as well, or at least part of his personality, we've talked about this with Fitz. You aren't, and they talk about with Fitz and Tony man, you aren't able to grow past those memories that were taken away. Yeah. You can't, keep experiencing so he has that hurt boy those experiences on the ship yes they were traumatic and it's probably a good thing he didn't have them at that time mm -hmm. however he's not getting past those <laughs> yeah he can't really mature and heal even i guess would be a better word for that but i think that becomes increasingly clear i think it makes can it all the more empathetic although i don't think kenneth's ever been argued to not be an empathetic character he is a horrible person and makes a lot of really bad decisions but i think this chapter especially for me really cements why kenneth makes the choices as frustrating as they are and as heartless as they seem and why that makes sense yeah well, we see him getting dressed in his usual accoutrement, very nicely uh, put together and well put together. He foregoes a sword because he thinks that's only a vanity for somebody with one leg. And he's probably right. So he brings a knife along instead. I do quick or uh, off topic thing. Want to ask, where did he get the peg leg? Like, was that carved for him by one of the ship people or... Do you Probably think, or did, Divi Town or is there is there a store in Divi Town that sells like peg legs and hooks, and hooks. for hands? <laughs> I hope so. I really do. <laughs> if not, I'm gonna set up shop there. So 
Sorcor's usual go-to shop, actually, for all of his brightly colored silks. I love the idea. There's like... I think Sorcor and Brashen shop at the same place. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And the, the, the guy that sells everything has two eye patches, like one over both eyes. Yep. And nobody knows if he really needs them or not. <laughs> Perfect. And a seeing eye parrot on his shoulder. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Oh, I love it. So he reminisces a little bit about what has been happening on the ship while we haven't been inside of his head, right? We we have seen Wintrow a little bit, Vivacia a little bit, I think, but this is the day-to-day running of the ship. And we get, all was at peace on the anchored vessel. The ship had been tidier and better run since he had reduced the crew in Divitown. Most of the rescued slaves had been glad to leave the crowded ship. Some had wished to remain. He had sieved those rigorously. Some had simply not been able sailors. Others were too surly. Not all those with multiple tattoos across their faces were free spirits who had not bowed to slavery. Some, quite simply, were men and women too stupid to learn their tasks well and do them willingly. He did not want them any more than their former owners had. A dozen former slaves, victims of Sa'adar's influence, had insisted on remaining aboard. Kennet had graciously allowed it. It had been his only concession to their claim to own the ship. Doubtless they still hoped for more. Doubtless they would be disappointed. Three others he had kept aboard for his own reasons. They would serve their purposes tonight. So I think this is really interesting because the last time we got any news about the ship and Kennet, it was from Wintrow's point of view. And, and then Brashens. And Brashens, yes. So Wintrow's point of view of this whole situation of how Kennet handled the ships or the slaves that were on the ship was that he made a great choice and that it was super cunning of him to say that people could stay if they wanted to work their keep. They couldn't just have the boat. Yeah. And that actually got rid of a lot of the problem and still kept him looking like a leader. And then to have Kenneth's point of view where it seems almost like, I don't know, he obviously thought about it and made a choice, but it feels less pointed than how Wintrow felt felt it was. Like Wintrow was like, wow, what a great manipulator, what a great decision maker. (laughs) And Kenneth's like, yeah, all this stuff happened. It's whatever. (laughs) run of the mill for him yeah He's yeah genius all the time so definitely these mundane things don't bother him <laughs> but i just found that to be a cool little detail that we already heard about this from wintrow and from wintrow's point of view this is this great chess master at work and from kenneth's point of view it's just another tuesday yeah <laughs> speaking of wintrow as kenneth is walking the deck he finds ankle who is the one of the slaves who we saw with Wintrow to begin with when he was trying to heal her chafed legs. Yes. From below decks before they were freed. And Wintrow is sleeping very hard on the deck nearby as well in a deep sleep because uh, he asked Brig to keep him busy. <laughs> yes. But yeah, Inkle was the girl who tried to get out of her shackles. And Wintrow told her if she kept it up, she wouldn't keep walking. And everybody told him it was pointless to help her every everybody being the slaves told him it was pointless to help ankle because she was too far gone yeah it's not quite right in the head basically 
was the, uh, the overview for that. The girl turned to the tapping of his peg on the deck. Ankles wide, dark eyes watched him approach with trepidation. She was not as fearful as she had been at first. A few days after he had taken the ship, Etta had put a stop to the freed men and crew, using her for sex. The girl herself had not seemed to object, so Kenneth had seen no problem with it, but Etta had insisted she was too addled by ill use to know how to resist their advances. Later, Wintrow had told him what he knew of the girl. Ankle had gone mad in the hold and crippled herself, struggling against her fetters. Wintrow believed she had been normal when she had first been put below decks. No one on board seemed to know anything else about her, not even her name or age. A shame, Kenneth supposed, that her mind was gone. She would always limp. She was worse than useless aboard the ship, for she ate food and took up space that could have been given to an able man. He would have put her off in Divitown if both Etta and Wintrow had, had not interceded for her. When Vivacia too had spoken out in her behalf, Kenneth had allowed himself to be swayed. Nevertheless, it was time to be done with her. It was the kindest thing to do. A pirate ship was not a nursery for blighted souls. And so Robin Hop kind of sets this up as... I, have, I kept three slaves aboard, former slaves aboard, for my own purposes. Mm-hmm. And then goes into this whole thing of, like, she's just a waste of space on a ship. So now it's time to get rid of her. <laughs> yeah. this <laughs> a is little A little bit ominous. Yeah, it's really well done because you really never know what's coming next in this chapter. If you're a first-time reader, it's like, oh, my gosh, he's so heartless. I can't believe it. Like, you already know he's not a great person. But then it's like, poor ankle. He's getting rid of her just like that literally doesn't care about what happened to her yeah so i think that part of the story is fun as we go on but i do also want to talk about how i'm really impressed with etta Mm -hmm. uh, in this moment that she steps up and saves this girl right she doesn't have to there's no etta doesn't get a prize for sticking her neck out and talking to Kenneth about something that Kenneth clearly doesn't care about, but she does anyway. And she points out that this girl, like it doesn't matter if she's not saying no, she can't, she can't. So we're going to say no for her. And I just really appreciate that. And I really appreciate that. I don't know. I just, I think Etta is such a harsh and jagged character. She's so opposite of what you think in motherly, I guess, and yeah. affectionate, like you would normally think of as like a love interest character. And yet still you have this compassion coming from her. And I, I love that. I just think it's a lot of depth to that character and it doesn't make her any less angular and sharp and cool. She just also happens to be compassionate whenever she needs to be. Mm -hmm. And she's a girl's girl, so we love that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Vivacia is asking Kenneth here, like, what are you going to do with her? Because he can read, or she can read his intentions a little bit. Not much, as we kind of learn from her questions, but a little bit. So she knows that Kenneth is planning something and wants Ankle to follow him, etc., and he's just trying to placate her, basically. He's like, I mean her no harm. You know me well enough to understand that. But let's not wake the lad. Vivesha was silent for, for a time. I sense you believe you are doing what is right for her, but I cannot see what that is. After a time, she added, you block me. There are portions of your heart 
that you have never allowed me to see. You keep secrets from me. Yes, just as you keep secrets from me. You have to trust me in this. Do you? He made a small test of the question. She was silent, and then he walks forward and says out loud, as if it was the first time that they had talked that evening, Good evening, sweet sea lady. It is more than a good night, gentle sir, she replied in kind. He extended his hands to her, and she twisted to reach back to touch his. I trust you are well. Tell me, what do you think of my islands, now that you have seen them a bit? So they have that little exchange in their head, and then kind of present a play for everybody else listening in, but it's an actual exchange. It's very this weird, very weird interaction to me because yeah. he still goes up and like pretends that this is the first time he's greeting her, and she goes along with it. But then they go into the just a continuance of <laughs> a normal yeah. conversation too. I I don't know. I kind of feel like it was. Kenick trying to reset the conversation. And That's fair. It Steer it away from it. Yeah, and just kind of go back to the whole flattery thing. It's really interesting to me that he's telling her she knows him enough to know what his thoughts and feelings are, and she's telling us that she doesn't feel like she knows Kenneth, that there's too much hidden, especially because I feel like she had free reign in his head for a little bit while he was wanting to die and knows all the intricacies of like how much of a bad person he actually is. But I don't in- know. I, I feel like the ship's connection is a little bit different than just having skill like Galen going through your head. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. I think that's, I, I don't think I have a very good grasp of, what this connection is between ship and person she's bonded with. But to me, it feels like a little bit like Galen's rifling Mm. through memories in that she's in there. She can read your mind at some points and she definitely can read feelings. I think that's pretty clear, but like to what extent, how clear I feel like it's similar to, it's similar to Verity riding with Fitz yeah. when he's going to kill Regal, where he's like, what are you doing? Like, what's going on here? And then right at the end, he's like, oh, no, 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 come to me. <laughs> Don't do this. <laughs> so enough, like, yeah. you, can, you can kind of see some vague intentions or feelings or thoughts, but it's not up front. There's a huge emphasis in this trilogy on mutually reaching out. And mutually coming to understandings and mutual communication, I guess. So it feels like that would kind of go hand in hand with a live ship connection of, yeah, there is that aspect of the ships are kind of beholden to whatever lives they soaked up before. But mm-hmm. in order to actually let them in, we had that whole you know philosophical conversations and all the deep conversations with Wintrow and Vivacia before of you're not fully accepting me in and you're not fully reaching out so i feel like there's kind of that kind of consent gate i guess yeah and it's the same with vivacia though because kind of does say it she's not revealing all of her secrets she doesn't talk about the serpents she doesn't talk about her dragon thoughts 
That's fair. Yeah, I guess you're right. I also do think that it's kind of crazy that Vivacia is still enamored with Kenneth and isn't mad at Kenneth for keeping things from her when that's how she was with, um, with Wintro. And now Wintro is trying and is trying to understand and it's far too late, but Kenneth who is lying all the time and doesn't let her in and is on purpose, keeping her out. It's completely different. She doesn't care. She made the choice for Kenneth. She was forced to with Wintro. I think it comes mm. down to that. This is her her first love, right? Okay. This is her first free will choice of like, yeah, I'll be wooed by you. Okay. So Vivacia and Kenneth are talking about the islands and she's remarking on what she's seeing and relating it to what she experienced when she wasn't fully awakened yet with Captain Efren. Kenneth's getting a little bit jealous at this. And he's saying, you still miss him, don't you? I'm sure he was a fine captain and showed you many wondrous places. But if you trust me, lady, you and I shall see places even more exotic and have adventures even more exciting. Do you recall him that well? I thought you were not quickened then. And she just kind of responds that it was thoughts, feelings, emotions, something hazy like in a dream. Nothing sharp but a scent, a horizon, the taste of a current will seem familiar and a memory comes with it. If Winter is with me, it is sharper. I can convey to him far more detail than I can speak. I see. And then he changes the subject. <laughs> right. I think this goes back to the bond being partially not something they can control. I know that we have talked before about whether or not live ships can choose the bond. Yes. Which is what Kenneth is trying to do. He's trying to override an already existing bond. But also what ends up happening with Paragon too. And I I think this gives it a really good explanation in that it's not that it's not necessarily possible. It's just that the information they know from the family they're bonded with cannot be as easily transferred to a new person. And so I think that makes it so that what would be the point yeah. of bonding with a live ship if you didn't get all the memories of the live ship? Right. So I don't know. I think that's an interesting twist to it. Mm -hmm. Something that just came into my head as well. Paragon, yes, does get sailed by Brashen and maybe he can't get all of the memories right but Kenneth dies on paragon's ship so doesn't he always have a family connection with him kind of <laughs> i mean i guess it's like the former lives soaking in to quicken a ship so it's not always like a connection there but Kenneth eventually does die on paragon's decks yeah but then no ludlucks are sailing him that's true so a Ludluck died on his ship and adds to the other Ludluck bodies. But yeah. it's just weird. Cause it's like, I, I don't know. It came into my mind because of Paragon is a unique case in a lot of instances. Yeah. I'm just kind of wondering if that mattered. Cause he carried Kenneth's memories with him for so long. And maybe that allowed Brashen to mm, have, I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah. To form an initial connection and allow Brashen to sail him. Like while Paragon is still mad. <laughs> Yeah. So like because he has a living bit of Kenneth on him, he d he can be sailed by anybody. Yeah. Mm. And then eventually Brashen did form 
a decent working bond with him when Paragon was whole once again. Yeah, that could be. Vivacia is whole and is not crazy and mad and I was also wondering willing if, to kill people. <laughs> if maybe it would work better with Paragon because he has such bad memories that mm. not keeping those kind of helps him sail a little better. That's fair, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Weird case just kind yeah. of popped in my head. <laughs> Tangent. So he changes the subject from Captain Efren Vestrit and is thinking on how sometimes he misses Sorcor. And we learn that Sorcor has gone to the Marietta and is captaining the Marietta now. And that's Marietta is nearby. Yes. He bids farewell to Vivacia, saying that he needs to avoid some trouble tonight and says, think of me until I return. I shall. There was puzzlement in her voice. But he walks away, gestures to ankle, and she follows him. When he reaches the captain's gig, which is a small boat, for those of you who do not know, <laughs> he tells her to wait there, stay, and says, I'll take you for a ride when I come back. He left her sitting there in the darkness, and he passed the sailor on anchor watch and acknowledged him with a nod. The sailor bobbed his head but made no comment. Captain Kennett had always done as he pleased on the ship. He even sensed that the crew was more confident now that he had resumed his erratic tours of the ship. It reassured them that all was well with their captain. He talks about how he could move almost swiftly now with his crutch and his peg leg, but it was not without discomfort. Right. He's going to take a long time to build up calluses on his stump, and until that happens, it's going to be very uncomfortable. Right. And not only that, but there's also the chafing of using a crutch and just the pain of using a crutch. Yeah. Which anyone who's ever used a crutch will definitely agree with. Um, yeah, I recently had an injury where I had to use crutches and that was way worse than I thought it was going to be. For so, like one day. Yeah. 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 Oh, that was horrible. So all the sympathy. <laughs> but here we have Kenneth. With chasing, with chafing and pain, but it's okay. He's he can he, still get around, and he's independent. Yeah, and there's no more of the whiny Kennet that is despairing at the change and how awful his luck is that he now has to have pain when he walks. He's just kind of accepted that's part of life, and he's going to have to get used to it. And he's moving on. And I think we see a lot of that—the changed mindset of there's no sense in wallowing in what can't be changed. And I think that's kind of growth from Kenneth <laughs> because Kenneth seems one to wallow. So yeah, he kind of made that mental switch as you mentioned at the beginning of this episode when we last saw him mm -hmm. and has carried that on. So he's heading towards where Sa'adar is sleeping. He says he's taken special care to ascertain where that is and is making the, his way there as quietly as he can, even though it's not very quickly, because quiet is harder than quick in True. his case. So he goes over there and saw Adar was not asleep, so Kenneth made no pretense of waking him. In a soft voice, he said, If you would see justice done to Kyle Haven, rise and follow me now, silently. In apparent confidence, he turns around, walks away, and 
is happy and pleased that he judged Saadar correctly because Saadar is very curious at this statement and does not wake anybody else and does silently follow him. He strides past others sprawled and sleeping comrades and eventually he comes upon two others that he had chosen earlier. Dej slept with his arm thrown protectively over Sela. She was curled around her own belly. He nudged Dej twice with the tip of his crutch. He indicated the man's companion as well and then moved on. Obedient as a good dog, the man nudged the woman awake and silently followed him. So it's the three former slaves, plus Sadar, so four former slaves, I guess, and Kennet. They all make their way towards towards the gig, I guess. There's an ankle. I'm including ankle. Okay. Yes. Understood. So. Before they get back to that, the ship's gig, the captain's gig, they stop at Kyle Haven's door, and he indicates that they need to bring Kyle Haven along as well. Dej unceremoniously opens the door and enters the chamber. Kyle Haven stared up from his untidy bunk. His hair straggled wildly down his shoulders. There was a stink of unwashed flesh and urine in the room, reminiscent of the slavehold. Kenneth wrinkled his nose against it. His voice was mild as he stood in the door and suggested, You should come with us, Captain Haven. Haven's wild glance circled those who faced him. Sa'adar was smiling. You're going to kill me, aren't you? He asked hoarsely. No. Kenneth didn't particularly care if the man believed him or not. He turned to the map faces. To his map faces, I should say, is what Hob wrote. Mm -hmm. See that he comes with us, silently. He lifted one eyebrow to Haven as he added, I don't particularly care what they have to do to ensure the silence. Your cooperation is not essential, but it would be easier for both of us. Sadar is uh, annoying him by hurrying after him and asking him questions, saying, aren't you going to wait the others so they can witness this? And Kenneth confronts Sadar. Finally, as a reader, I was like, a first-time reader, I was like, yes, get him. (laughs) Yeah, so Kenneth does first warn him by saying, I believe I said I wanted silence. Sadar doesn't leave well enough alone and says, but. And Kenneth decides to turn around, balance on his good leg, and whack him with his uh, crutch. Yeah, he basically balances on his leg, leans up against the wall, and just lashes out with his crutch and... Hits Sadar really good on the leg. <laughs> and then thinks, you know, I could probably get pretty good at that. <laughs> and it'd be even better in open space, because then yeah. I can swing really hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Kenneth's learning new tricks, and Sadar is the practice dummy. But yeah, there's definitely this scene in particular is very secretive. It's yeah. even the reader is kept in the dark. We do not know where Kenneth is going why he's picked these people, what's going on. It gets more and more confusing because... Something's happening finally. Yes. And it's more confusing because it starts with ankle and it's like, oh no, he's going to off this poor girl. And then all of a sudden, Saw, Dar, and Kyle are here. Okay, so what is actually going on? And and why are they going to a small boat? Yeah. I mean, both the ships are anchored. Where are they? Yeah. So... They eventually make it back to the captain's gig and... Then the total count is Sa'adar, Dej, Sela, Ankle, and Kenneth. Yep. 
And there is also a chest that is in the boat with them. Yeah, uh, he says to um, his map faces, fetch the chest, you know which one, then prepare to launch the boat. The man immediately obeyed him. The others waited silently. No one was stupid enough to ask any questions. He rowed in the bow of the boat. Ankle sat in the stern near the chest, and the two map faces took one set of oars, the priest and Captain Haven the other. Kenneth pointed the way. From time to time, he quietly commanded changes in their course. He guided them between two small islands and into the lee of the third. Only when they were out of sight of both of his ships did he finally point toward a fourth island that was their true destination. Even then, he did not permit the map faces to land on the beach of Keyhole Island. He had them row on until they came to the mouth of a small bay. Kenneth was well aware that it was more than a bay. What appeared to be an island was in fact little more than a wall of forest-topped cliffs, shaped like a near-closed horseshoe. The bay filled its interior. One large island and a small one, smaller one dotted the interior bay. The sky was beginning to graze. He directed the rowers wordlessly toward the shore of the lo- the shore of the larger interior island. It took me, like, first time re- reading through this, I skimmed that. Completely, like, cool, they're going to an island. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's get on. Uh, rereading it, like, the first time, second time, whatever, and then this time as well. It's really interesting to picture this. Because you were saying at the beginning of, before we really got into the episode that this feels like a chapter out of something else, right? Because it's such a change in tone. Mm -hmm. And this description of like, this seems so whimsical to me. Yeah. It's crazy how like, oh, this is a fourth small island, but you go to the island and there's a small opening to a bay. And then inside that bay of this fourth small island is two smaller islands. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, it's... It's got that magical quality. It reminds me a little bit of Other Island. And for when I first was reading it this time, for whatever reason, I was like, did they already go back to Other Island? But then I realized, no, this is not that. But it's just that secret cove. The yeah. There's another another beach that they could have gone to, but he's directing them to this one and for his purposes and I don't know, I just, there's definitely definitely more of that intrigue here than we've had in a while. Yeah, going through the first time, you see that Kenneth actually knows exactly where he's going. He's yeah. describing everything that has a name, Keyhole Island. He's directing them on purpose. Yeah, and interestingly, he waits until he's out of eyesight of the boats yes. to really direct them. So Life of secrecy. Yeah, this is something that Kenneth doesn't trust anybody with the information of. This is very close to Kenneth's chest. And he is allowing this group to go with him. So they pull into a rocky shoreline. At his gesture, the map faces took the boat into shore and... He sat in it like a king on a litter as all the others clambered over the side and seized the gunwales to run it up the shore. They were scarcely clear before Haven starts to run away. A well-thrown rock fells him, and they get him back under control, but he is uh, 
not doing well. Kyle thinks he's coming here to be killed. Yeah. And on top of that, as the rock hits him and he falls, Sawdar gets to him first and is wailing on him. Seized him by the throat and slamming his head into the ground. <laughs> and he's like, bind his hands and don't let Sawdar kill him. <laughs> yeah. Sawdar is really under the belief that Kyle is going to die and he gets to be the one that does it. Like mm -hmm. the first chance he gets... He's attacking Kyle, which is kind of crazy to me. I know it's Kyle's fault that Sadar was on the on Vivacia, but Kyle wasn't the one who made Sadar a slave. No, but it's the only one he can take his revenge out on. But he already took his revenge out on every other crew member. Yeah, but Kyle Haven's the captain. Yeah, I suppose. But that's of like the ship of death, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know, but that's something that really sits with me. It's Sadar doesn't ever, it's never enough. He always wants more. True. And that's kind of his Achilles heel. So he gets everything under control, kind of directs them, and Kenneth starts climbing out from the gig and walking on. And eventually they follow along and catch up with him because it's very hard to move on a rocky shoreline with yes. a peg leg and a crutch. Yeah, it's a lot different than the smooth decks. He also asks Ankle to stay by to help him, but only if he says he needs right. it, Yeah, which is really important. So Ankle is close by for help if needed. He says bring the chest and he found the old path without too much trouble. It was overgrown. Probably the pigs and goats were the only creatures keeping it open now, he reflected to himself. Few others beside himself had ever come to this beach, and it had been years since he had passed this way. So he is saying that the order here, Ankle is right behind him, he's leading the way. Next came the priest and Sela carrying the chest between them, and Dej followed, manhandling Kyle, Kyle Haven to make him keep pace. Haven was not being quiet, but Kennet no longer really cared. They could do what they wished to the captain as long as he had arrived intact. He was sure they understood that. Quick aside, Dedge is the one who takes Wintrow's side, right? Wintrow, I, I don't know if he gets in an argument or something, but he says, hey, Wintrow was nice to us. Wintrow showed us kindness. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm pretty sure Dedge was one of Edda's chosen. Definitely, yeah. I don't remember the Wintro part, mm, but maybe I just I don't remember what brings about the scene, but like another oh, it, the other map. Face. It was yeah, there are two two map faces guarding Kyle's room, mm -hmm. and they're they're like, why don't why don't you just let us kill him? Yeah, he's like that's my dad, and I don't remember if that was dead or not. It might have been because I, I feel like Wintro decides to make a point to ask that look in their eyes and ask them their names yeah. and treat them like humans. But yeah, Dej is at least one of them that held Kenneth down yes. during his surgery. Yes. So they trudge on this old path for a while, and eventually the trail leads gently uphill and dips and begins to wind down into a gently rolling interior of the island. Kenneth paused for a moment on the lip of that small valley. Forest gave way to tussocky pastureland, a grazing goat lifted his head and regarded them warily. 
little had changed. To the west, he saw a tiny thread of smoke rising toward the sky. Well, maybe nothing at all had changed. The path gave a twist, then headed through the forest toward the smoke. Kenneth followed it. There's more description that the crutch is eating a hole through his armpit, and he needs a rest, and there's sweat trickling down his back, but he's Kenneth, so he can't show any sign of weakness. He just keeps going on. But this is a big excursion for him and a big exertion of his energy. Yeah, this is the first big outing he's gotten since healing. Mm -hmm. They come upon a clearing, and once more, Kenneth halts at the edge of it. Probably as a break, but it also gives time for the other people to take in the view. Yeah, and the view is a garden, a tidy garden, and a home. Mm -hmm. Chickens cackled and scratched in a pen just beyond the small hen house. From somewhere, a cow lowed questioningly. Beyond the garden were six cottages, once as alike as peas in a pod. Now five of the thatched roofs sagged pitifully. Smoke rose from the chimney of one that retained a roof. Other than that pale, moving pillar, all was still. Beyond the cottages, the upper story and shingled roof of a larger house were visible. Once this had been a small and prosperous freehold, now this handful of houses was all that remained. Years of careful planning had gone into it. The entire settlement had been laid out with loving precision. It had been an ordered and tidy world, designed especially for him, That had been before Igrit the Terrible discovered existence. Kenneth's eyes traveled slowly over all of it. Something stirred inside him, but he still stifled it before the emotion could make itself known. He took a slow, deep breath. Mother, he called out. Mother, I'm home. First time reader, what did you think of this? I was shocked he even still had his mother around. Yeah, true. I think I was... It's been years since he'd been there. <laughs> yeah, I'm flabbergasted. It's crazy to see where he comes from. I think... I don't know why, but even now, whenever I picture Kenneth and what he was doing before Igret, I just picture him on board Paragon. You know, like, yeah. I don't... I don't picture him having a house and a yard and a family. It's just like him sailing around on Paragon with his dad. But yeah, instead it's this beautiful laid out thing. And I think it's really interesting that that's what his dad created. Mm-hmm. You know, he was from the he from was, Bingtown. He was the son of a trader from Bingtown. Okay. I think his father was completely born in uh, in Divi Town. Okay. I think. Okay. Well, then. I'd have to go back and like relook at my notes. Okay, but <laughs> fair enough. But yeah, so it's interesting to have here that they had their own little hold. Like, who lived in those six huts? Who were they? How did they get picked? Probably did his they... crew, right? Oh, I guess. Yeah. That makes sense. But yeah, so I think that's crazy. And I just want to know what the people were thinking that he brought with him. They're in this little tiny hidden remote island. And all of a sudden, Captain Kenneth is just like, Mom, I'm home. That's crazy. (laughs) And there's only like one house that looks good or like in somewhat decent repair. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. 
what did you think when you read it? I mean, it's been so long since the first time I read it, but I think it, it was about the same thing, right? It was just like, oh my gosh, what? <laughs> Kenneth's a human? <laughs> He's, <laughs> He's got family? parents? Yeah. <laughs> he was he, born? <laughs> he was spawned. <laughs> yeah. For two breaths, nothing happened. Then a door was slowly opened. A gray-haired woman peered out. She squinted in the early morning light as she peered about the yard. She finally spotted them on the far side of the garden. She lifted a hand and clutched at her throat, staring wide-eyed. She made a small sign against wild spirits. Kennet gave a sigh of exasperation. It's me, mother, Kennet, your son. As it always had, her caution exasperated him. He was halfway across the garden before she was all the way out of the door. She was barefoot, he noted with distaste, and dressed in cotton tunic and trousers like a peasant. Her pinned-up hair was the color of wood ash. Her eyes widened as she finally recognized him. She hurried toward him at an inglorious trot. He had to suffer the indignity of her squashy embrace. She was weeping before she even reached him. Over and over, she pointed at his missing leg, gabbling in sorrow and query. It's so sad that Kenneth has such a loving mom, and this is Kenneth's internal monologue. I mean, yeah, he, he has all of that love and pain stashed in paragon yeah all of it (laughs) yeah yeah it just oh it makes me so sad for his mom especially because that lady is precious and does not deserve the son that she gets (laughs) but you know i guess that's not fair because kenneth wasn't always this way i'm sure i don't know he probably had to be a little bit of a jerk because i feel like i don't know I don't think he was always, he was probably spoiled. He was the single child of a rich captain with a kingdom all of his own. I'm feeling Malta vibes. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he was. Malta vibes, but without the uh, Chalcedian (laughs) influence. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. But no, so like, I feel like he probably was always a little bit like Malta, but obviously his life has hardened him into the horrible person he is today. But yeah, we have his sweet little cute old lady mom and he's embarrassed. And it's like, who cares? These people that you brought with are not going to. It doesn't change their view of you in the way that you think, I guess. It's just crazy to me that he cannot understand human empathy. And I suppose. Or he can understand it, but is disgusted at it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I guess to be fair. Somebody like Kyle might judge or Sadar is going to yeah. judge, but those aren't necessarily good people anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, Sadar definitely judges him. Yeah. Have a confrontation later about it. Yeah, but not in the ways that he's thinking. It's not like, oh, Kenneth is less of a man because his mom isn't a dignified lady. Like, that's not what they even are judging on. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. So he says that years ago, her tongue had been cut out. Although he had had nothing to do with that and had sincerely deplored it at the time, over the years he had come to see it was not an entirely unfortunate incident. She still talked endlessly or tried to, but since the event he could steer the conversation as he wished it to go. He told her when she agreed with him and when a topic was settled, as now. Which is, oh, it's so frustrating in this chapter. Yeah. He's just like, I can't stay long, I'm afraid, but I've brought you a few things. And just saying, like, have done, it's fine, it's all right. Like, ignoring her questions about his leg. 
and he steers her towards the cottage, brings in the chest, saying, it has a few gifts for you, some flower seeds I thought you would like, some cooking spices, some cloth, a tapestry, a bit of this, a bit of that. They go into the cottage, it's very tidy, but also very bare. On the table were smooth shingles of white pine, brushes and dyes were laid out beside them. So, she still painted. Yesterday's work still rested on the table, a wildflower done in intricate and realistic detail. A kettle of water bubbled on the hearth. Through the door into the second room, he glimpsed the neatly made bed. Everywhere he looked, he saw signs of a simple and placid life. She had always liked things that way. His father had loved opulence and variety. They had complemented one another well. Now she was like half a person. The thought suddenly agitated him beyond his self-control. He paced around. I feel like this is so interesting because we are really getting so much about Slowly, Kenny. slowly. It was doled out to us now. All of a sudden, it's yeah. just slow over this chapter, but this chapter has tons yeah. of information. Yeah, it is so much. I feel like knowing that his mom is a bare essentialist really explains why he doesn't like things being too overboard or too gaudy. Mm-hmm. It really but he shows. he still likes very fine things from his yes. dad. Yeah. So he still has that taste. He still has the, the Divi Town taste of wanting opulence. But because of his mom's influence, he doesn't need to overly show that. You can do so much more by understating it. Mm-hmm. And I find I like it's crazy. Like those little details are here. Here it is. That's why. Yeah. That's why he's so different than all the other pirates because of his mom that's still alive. And I think in little bits like that, you see how much he does still care for her and love her in his own way. And I think it kind of makes it more heartbreaking how damaged it is mm-hmm. and how like Igret really took everything from Kenneth, even oh, yeah. his ability to love his mom normally. Ability to feel emotions because as soon as he thinks, oh, she's like a half a person and starts feeling sorry for her or thinking about his dad who died or anything, he starts getting agitated. Yeah. And he's just like, okay, here's Ankle. She's going to help you. She's your servant now. And if you don't like her, I'll probably kill her. So, and then his mom is freaking out. It's like, no, 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 don't do that. And Ankle's crouching down and he's like, well, for her sake, do try to get along well together, almost gently. Already he wished he were back on the deck of his ship. Things were so much simpler there. I think this is a place where he feels really vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. I think talking with his mom, being around his mom, and in the place where so much hurt happened, it's hard for him to feel like he is fully in control. He doesn't Mm -hmm. have... He can't fool his mom, right? right? His mom knows what happened. But I think also it's that fear to approach the feelings of compassion, of humanity. He clearly avoids this place, which is even sadder because clearly his mom truly loves him and really wants him around. And yet Kenneth doesn't, he avoids, he says it's been years since he was last here. He hasn't even seen her for multiple years. Right. And it wasn't necessarily something that seemed to be on the forefront of his mind. I mean, we do get little bits where he thinks of his mom and is disgusted and then goes back to not thinking about her. So he clearly cares, but 
he hasn't been acting on it. And right. here he is again. And he can't even give his mom time to enjoy his company. He's pushing her away. Now he introduces her to Captain Haven, saying, say hello and then goodbye. He'll be staying, but you won't be seeing him. I'll be putting him down in the old wine cellar under the big house. Ankle, you will remember to give him some food and water now and then, won't you? At least as often as you were fed and watered aboard the ship, right? That seems fair to everyone, now doesn't it? They were all gaping at him as if he were mad. All save his mother, who clutched the front of her blouse and wrung the fabric between her hands. She looked distressed. He thought he knew the problem. Now remember, I have given my word that he is to be kept safe, so I insist you do just that. I'll chain him up well, but you must see to the food and water part. Do you understand? His mother gabbled frantically at him. He nodded in approval. I knew you wouldn't mind. Now, what have I forgotten? He glanced at the others. Oh yes, look mother, I've brought you a priest too. I know how you like priests. His eyes drilled Sa'adar. My mother is very devout. Pray for her. Or bless something. Sa'adar's eyes went wide. You're mad. Scarcely. Why do people always accuse me of that when I'm arranging things to my liking instead of theirs? He dismissed the priest. Now, these two, mother, are going to be your neighbors. They have a baby on the way, they've told me. I'm sure you'll like having a little one around, won't you? They're both handy and at heavy work. Perhaps the next time I come to visit, I'll find things in better repair. Perhaps he'll be living in the big house again. The old woman shook her head so violently that her gray hair flew free of its pinning. Her eyes went wide with some remembered pain. She opened her mouth in a quavering cry. It revealed the stump of her tongue. Kenneth looked aside in distaste. This cottage does seem quite cozy, he amended. Perhaps you are better off here. But that doesn't mean we should stand by and let the big house fall down. So he glances over at Dej and Sela and says, You two may choose one of the cottages for yourself, as may the priest. Keep him well away from the captain. I promised Wintrow that his father would be kept somewhere intact, where the boy no longer needed to worry about him or deal with him. Before I get to that response, we have a lot of Kenneth talking over his mother. Yeah. Because she cannot convey what she wants to say right or at least she can and Kenneth is just ignoring <laughs> right and we see the full plan laid out here the secrecy is finally unveiled yeah captain haven is going to be kept prisoner because he promised Wintrow that he would be kept safe and out of the way mm-hmm. and he gets rid of ankle and dedge and sela yeah and makes them useful. Mm-hmm. Makes them useful. Helps out his mom so he assages his own guilt. Yeah. It's crazy to me. Kenneth is so close to being an actually pretty good person. He makes decisions and does things that are for the betterment of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And he actually is really helpful. And when he puts his mind to it, he is good at ruling. He is right. good at making choices that are for the greater good. And he has no qualms about deciding those things and making it so. And that's really impressive. And yet we get to see his inner monologue with that. And that makes him such a despicable person. Mm-hmm. Like on the outside, he is a good person. It is no wonder so many people are ardent followers of him and really believe in him. Because if you don't have the inner monologue where he is 
constantly disgusted with everyone, thinks everybody is underneath or beneath him and thinks that most people near him are less than human. Like you, of course you would think he's a good guy, but instead we have to know he is this horrible, horrible person on the inside. He has all these awful thoughts that are just terrible. He doesn't see slaves as human beings. He doesn't think Etta is a real person. Like it is insane to me that yet despite all that, he still makes good choices and he still <laughs> could be a good person. You know what I mean? Like, ugh. So Kenneth reveals that about Captain Haven, that this is him keeping a promise to Wintrow. Mm-hmm. And Kyle speaks up and he's incredulous. He strangled and then the furious words roared out of him. This is Wintrow's doing? My son did this to me? His blue eyes flew wide in hurt and justified hatred. I knew it. I knew it all along, the treacherous little viper, the cur. Kenneth's mother cowered from his vehemence. Kenneth casually backhanded Haven across the mouth. Even supporting himself on his crutch, Kenneth managed sufficient force that the captain staggered backward. You're upsetting my mother, he pointed out coolly. I suppose it's time I put you away. Come along, then. You two, bring him. This he addressed to his map faces. Turning to the girl, he commanded her, Make some food. Mother, you show her where the supplies are. Priest, stay here. Pray or something. Do whatever my mother wishes you to do. Saadar announces, You can't command what I do. You can't make me your slave. Kenneth glanced back at him. He gave him a small smile. Perhaps not. However, I can make you dead. It's an interesting choice, don't you think? He turned and left without a backward glance. Saadar is so weird. Yeah. Like... What would it hurt? This woman has done nothing to you and she's clearly upset. Why wouldn't you even just try to get to know her to use that against Kenneth in some way? You (laughs) clearly want to do that. But instead he's like, no, I'm not doing anything. I'm not even going to pray. I don't care. You can't make me. Okay, 12 year old, like chill. (laughs) I get that this is like a very serious situation and life and death is on the line. But it is wild to me that he is not even trying to appease Kenneth in this moment to figure out what the best strategy is. He doesn't care. We've talked about it a little bit though. He he's a broken man, right? Yes, he, definitely. He kind of went overboard when he was freed because he had no control of his life and this is him and he's saying it in here. You can't control me, right? You're not going to make a slave out of me. Right. You can't command me. That's that's his whole thing now is he needs to be in control of his own life. And he's harboring, you know, some hatred towards Kenneth for stealing his rightful property right. <laughs> in the ship. But it's, yeah, I don't know. He just reacts poorly to everything. And we see him with Wintrow, first of all, under below decks, and he's kind of in control-ish. Mm-hmm. He has good suggestions. He's like, yeah, I'm a priest of Saw as well. And then we see him from Wintrow's point of view as taking control of the slaves. And then chapter after chapter, we just see him losing everything and yeah. spiraling down further into just kind of a pitiful, hatred-filled creature. Fair enough. And I mean, 
to be fair, I've just spent like a ton of time being like, wow, Kenneth's actually kind of a good person and <laughs> like pitiful. And then Sawdar comes out. I'm like, mm, your trauma doesn't count. <laughs> Not true. It does. And it it's fair. We don't know who Sawdar was before right. this. I think it's easier to write him off as always a bad person because he seems one to think that his judgment is best. But who knows if that's always, always been the case or, or not. It could have, you know, been a new thing because of trauma. So I get it. But, you know. Kind of threatens him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And props to Hobb for being able to write so many different bad guys, quote unquote. Yeah. They don't feel the same. No, none of them are the same. Even though we have two bad guys right here. Three, technically, if you count Kyle, but he's kind of out for the count right now. (laughs) You have three bad guys and not a single one of them feels the same you don't have the same amount of sympathy for every single one it's crazy so the map faces are waiting outside with kyle in between them and disbelief ward with despair in his face you can't do this you can't abandon me here Kenneth merely shook his head to himself he was so weary of people telling him that he could not do what he obviously could He did not bother to look at his followers as he led his way to the big house. So, quick question. Do you think Kyle is justified in his anger towards Wintrow in this moment? Mm. From Wintrow's point of view, no. With, like, Wintrow as our protagonist, right? Mm Mm-hmm. From Kyle's point of view, yes. Why? Because from Kyle's point of view, a son has to obey his father at all times. Okay. And having your son betray you, I guess, and like jailing you and putting you in slave-like conditions away from, yes, Kyle did have freedom on ship. He could go above board and wash himself. Fair. (laughs) And he refused to, but now he's going to be chained up underneath. He thinks that Wintrow specifically ordered this, right? So from Kyle's point of view, yes, that anger is justified. In terms of overall, no. (laughs) I don't even know if I feel like it's justified from his own point of view. Like, Wintrow's keeping him off the deck and away from the majority of people who would kill him. I get that he still is under the care of people who might, but... I mean, honestly, you already had slaves. Like, you started this whole mess with your own choices, which we right. all know Kyle will never acknowledge. But it's it almost feels like more of a freedom. He was clearly too afraid to even live in the ship. Mm-hmm. So this is I obviously it's horrible that he's going to be chained to a wall. Like, I don't wish that on him. But also... I think it before... feels safer. Yeah, he had some hope of being ransomed, though, and... With his son going, no, chain him up and imprison him, then he's away from the person who makes decisions. But that's not what was said. And that's not what Kenneth makes it seem like was said. Kenneth literally just says, I promised Wintro that I would get his, keep his father safe, but out of sight. Yeah, I and promised Wintrow that his father would be kept somewhere intact where the boy no longer needed to worry about him or deal with him. So that's not like, 
Wintrow was like, hey, can you chain him up and in a... Yeah, but I'm talking about from Kyle's point of view. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, even from Kyle's point of view, he's extrapolating to be the worst possible outcome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it doesn't matter. So anyway. That's what he was doing um, with Wintrow on ship, too. True. True. So they are heading out towards the big house where... We've gotten some peeks at what that means, and you can kind of guess that that's where kind of grew up. Right. And on the way there, he's telling Dej and Sayla to tidy up the walkway, and there used to be a garden here, and you can plant stuff. Just ask my mom if you have questions. She knows how to garden. Mm-hmm. And even the big house had taken some damage in that long-ago raid. There were scorch marks on the planked walls where the flames from the neighboring structures had threatened to set it ablaze as well. Such a night of flames and screams that had been, as the supposed allies revealed their true intent. Such an orgy of cruelty as Igret indulged to his sensual limits. The smells of smoke and blood were forever intermingled in his memories of that night. So this is... Again, a look into what happened. They, Igret and his crew came to Kenneth's father as allies. They were a partnership, and then they were betrayed. Yeah, I guess I didn't realize that's what that meant. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I thought it meant. <laughs> I guess I thought that like they were under attack and they thought they had allies coming to save them and the allies were actually just Oh Igret. no. Yeah, it was it was Igret the whole time. He kind of got the information out of them, came to there and then it's like, "Oh, I'm taking your live ship now." Yeah, I want this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Igret's crazy. He's Yeah. like a bad person. I, yeah. Not that there are a lot of bad people in but the like, series. Igret is. <laughs> Igret's like pretty up there. I think he controversial might be worse than Kenneth. He's awful. Yeah. And poor. I feel bad for Kenneth that this is something that he had to deal with. Mm-hmm. So he steps through the door and for an instant, his memory leaps up and we get a description of what it was like. It was well-decorated, and as a kid, he thought it was exquisite and luxurious. But looking back, he can see it was just a hodgepodge of random things kind of thrown together, right? Kenneth says now he would have scoffed at the mishmash of trash and treasures, but then his father had reveled in it, and the boy Kenneth with him. You'll live like a king, laddie, his his father would say. No, better yet, you'll be a king. King Kennet of Key Island. Now doesn't that have a fine ring? King Kennet, King Kennet, King Kennet. Singing that refrain, his father would scoop him up and swing him wildly about, capering drunkenly around the room. King Kennet. So now we know why Kennet wants to be king Mm -hmm. and why he truly believes he is destined for it. Yeah. He was raised to think that that was... His. He is meant to be a king. Of course he's going to be a king. And he's just dreamt a little bigger than what his father had. So King Ki- uh, King, King Kenneth of the Pirate Isles, not just Key Island. Yeah. Also, I want to point out that a little before this, as they walk in the door, Kenneth notes that the door isn't locked, 
because there aren't any locks, because his father didn't believe in locking doors, which is what made them so susceptible to Agrit and the attack. Yeah, just his father's mindset. Yeah, of there's no need to lock anything. He talks about how he had thought about refurbishing the house many times. In the room upstairs were stored more than enough art and furniture to eclipse the house's former tawdry glory. It was his carefully gleaned collection, the finest of his troves, brought here a bit at a time in great secrecy. But that was not what he wanted. No, he would restore it with what Igrit had stolen from them, the same paintings, the same tapestries and rugs, chairs and chandeliers. Someday, when the time was right, he would go after all of it, bring it back here, and put it all back just as it had been. He would make it right. He had promised that to himself more times than he cared to remember, and now the fulfillment of that promise was within his grasp. All that Igrit had ever stolen from anyone was now his by right. A small, hard smile formed on his mouth. King Kennet indeed. This a little bit made me sad when I was reading this as a rereader, because we know that this doesn't get to happen. Right. And... Kenneth's stuff from his family home is probably going to get sold off um, because I think when Amber and Brashen and Althea all have it, yeah, they presumably sell everything for money, mm-hmm. but it's so close and he finally has a live ship and to go get it and he's never going to realize that. And that makes me a little bit sad. It also shows the depth of his hurt and trauma that he just wants to restore everything exactly as it was. Yeah. He wants to eliminate any trace of Igrit from yeah. the world. And he thinks by doing this, it's going to rectify his past, too. Yeah. It almost feels like he thinks with this last step, it'll be like it never happened. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's not how trauma works right (laughs) and that's not really how life works and pretending that it didn't happen and trying to erase the parts like I get it and I understand why he would do that I just I'm I feel so bad for him in this chapter because it's like oh honey you need therapy bad like (laughs) oh yeah it's he's got it rough out there yeah not that I don't always feel like Kenneth needs therapy because I definitely do most of these characters all of them honestly would benefit but This especially, I'm like, oh, 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 buddy. (laughs) He goes on to think that his mother wanted no part of it. And he had, he says, when he was younger during his savage years, he would climb onto her lap, hug her neck tightly, and try to whisper his plans for vengeance into her ear. She would desperately and fearfully shush him. She had not even dared to dream of revenge. Now she no longer wanted luxuries and wealth on display. No, she trusted to her simple life to protect her. Kenneth knew the truth of that. No one can have so little that someone else can find nothing to envy. Poverty and simplicity were not shields from the greed of others. If you had nothing left to steal, they'd take your body and enslave it. For all his musings, he did not pause or tarry. He led his cavalcade briskly through the hall and back to the kitchens. He opens up the wine cellar, and leads him down into the makeshift dungeon that Igrit used. And the chains were still there. It would serve that purpose again. Chain him up, he directs the faces, and make sure you fasten him tight and true. 
make sure that he doesn't bother Ankle when Ankle comes to give him his food and water, if she comes with his food and water. You're trying to frighten me. From somewhere, Captain Haven had found a last measure of aplomb. I'm not easily scared. The only problem is that I have no idea what you want from me. Why don't you simply tell me? He even managed to keep his voice steady as the male map face led him down the steep steps. The woman had gone ahead to rummage for chains while her docile and implacable mate dealt with the man. Regardless of what my son has told you, I am not an unreasonable man. Everything is negotiable. Even if you keep the ship and the boy, you could get a handsome, a handsome ransom for me. What a <laughs> fun, fun phrase. Fun little play on word. Have you thought of that? I am worth far more to you alive than dead. Come, I'm not a stingy man. This profits no one. My dear captain, not all of this, not all of life is about profit. Sometimes it is about convenience. This is convenient for me. Kyle maintained his composure. He struggled savagely, but silently. It did him no good. He was too weakened from his time. It was that quiet snap of the lock being fastened when the precise moment that Kenneth knew that he had broken. That was when he, was be he began cursing. He swore oaths of vengeance and called down the wrath of a dozen gods on them as they climbed the stairs and left him there. As they closed the door, shutting him into the dark and dank, he began to scream. But the door to the wine cellar was heavy and well-fitted. When it shut, it cut off his screams, just as Kenneth had recalled. He swung the keys back on their peg. Be sure you show Ankle the way here. I want him kept alive. Do you understand? The woman nodded. Seeing her do so, Dej nodded also. Kenneth smiled, well pleased. These two would do fine here. Life on Key Island would offer them more than their wildest dreams. They would have their own cottage, plenty of food, peace, and a place to raise their child. So simply had he bought their lives from them, he reflected. Strange how men would resist slavery savagely, only to sell themselves for a simple chance at life. So he's feeling pretty pleased about himself now as they head back to the cottage. Yeah, and again, like, he's so close to being a good guy. These... He, yeah, he's like, they're going to do really well here. I give them a great life, but ha, how cheaply I bought their life for them. <laughs> how dumb. They're so dumb. They sold their lives just for a nice, peaceful life on an island where they don't have to pay bills or work very hard to survive. Crazy. How how could they? How dumb. Like, what? <laughs> also, the fact that he saw that they were having a kid and decided they would be a good match here. Is, and then it wasn't even altruistic. Altruistic, right? It's crazy. <laughs> I don't know the depth, but I do want to go back and talk for a second about Kyle here. Mm -hmm. Kyle really doesn't think this is real, right? He's thinking this is all fake. I think up until the point when it. A ploy he's chained to, up. Yeah, yeah they're trying something. to. Yeah, something is wanted from him. Wintrow has said he has something or some information and that's clearly what they want out of him. And here he is saying, I'm, I'm not unreasonable. Just tell me what it is you want. I'll give it to you. I'll give you anything. And, and it's like, no, it's nah, man, convenient. <laughs> yeah. Literally don't care. I, this is my choice. Bye. It is such a poetic justice, such a flipping of table of, it doesn't matter what, 
Kyle does. He can, nothing is going to appease Kenneth. Right. Nothing will be enough to get him not to be in chains. And it's so fitting considering how he treated Wintro. <laughs> this is just everything he did to Wintro, but amplified. Yeah. Which is fair considering Wintro's a child and Kyle's an adult. So, so, but no, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't wish harm on this fake character. Nah, screw that. You do. <laughs> a little bit. He's not real. If he was a real person, I'd be like, no, he doesn't deserve this at all. And it'd be a whole different conversation, but he's not real. He deserves it. <laughs> but I also think it's interesting that he swears to a dozen gods to rain down their fury. It could just be a figure of speech that kind of uses as well. I suppose. But I've, there are lots of other gods, remember? Yeah. They have a bunch of different names. But the followers of Saw say they're all just faces of Saw. Yeah. So we know of like four gods right now because there's Saw, that one chapel that... Odava. Odava, yeah. Then Ida and L. Mm-hmm. That's four right there. There's, I think there was something mentioned in the Mountain Kingdom as well that we yes. were marked on, but I don't remember what it I don't was. Re- yeah, I don't remember the Mountain Kingdom God, but it's only one in the Mountain Kingdom, right? I think so, yeah. Okay. So, that like, we thought was a God. It wasn't clear that it was. Yes. But we yeah. thought it was something like that. So I just, oh, I'm like, okay, what are the other names? I need to know. <laughs> as an acolyte of Saw, I really feel like. <laughs> you need to discover the other faces. Yeah, I would like to know the other faces of yes. Saw. Thank you. Um, <laughs> So maybe it wasn't really a dozen gods, but I also found that part interesting because we know that Kenneth is so unreligious and was like, what's the worst that could happen if I take a acolyte of Saw away from Saw's temple? Who cares? It's That god isn't real. Maybe, maybe if he would have left Wintro alone, none of this would have happened. Doubtful, but hey. <laughs> so they're heading back to the cottage and he's kind of pointing out Hey, you can uh, you can take all of this stuff. You can take whatever you need, build a life here. It's great. Just do some heavier chores for my mom, fix up the big house, and don't take anything from the big house itself. Again, a lot of seemingly empathy from Kenneth, question mark. Yeah. Just help my mom. I don't care what you guys do. That, and be sure the priest never attempts to leave. If he does, simply put him in the cellar with the captain. Encourage him to amuse my mother. Anything you don't understand? Anything I've forgotten? It's all quite clear, the woman replied quickly. We'll keep our end of the bargain, Captain Kennett. Make no mistake. She rested one hand atop her belly, as if pledging to the child within rather than to him. That, as much as anything they had done, convinced him he had chosen well. He nodded, well satisfied with himself. He was rid of Sa'adar without the, ha- the bad luck associated with killing a priest. I highlighted that, which is interesting considering uh, what you were just talking about. Like, oh, he doesn't believe in God, he took someone... You know, a child of Saw away from his temple. Hmm. Uh-huh. Killing a priest associated with bad luck. Interesting. <laughs> well, Kenneth may not believe in in a higher power, but Kenneth does believe in luck. True. So. True. Kyle Haven would be where neither he nor Wintrow had to fret about him, yet he was still available to be ransomed off later if Kenneth chose to do so. The disposal of the others had been convenient. They had rowed the boat ashore and seen that neither the priest nor the captain gave trouble. Yes, he had planned well. So he goes into the cottage very well pleased with himself. He sees that Sadar is standing in the corner, arms folded on his chest. He did not look as if he were praying. His mother was going through the contents of the chest, ooing and aahing over things. 
and Ankle is gimping the short distance from the hearth to the table with a platter of fresh flat bread. His descriptions of people are horrible. Crazy. He's just like, <laughs> he's never calls Dej and Sela by their names besides that first time. He calls yeah. him his map faces, the man, the male, the woman. <laughs> he, he like picks on the one part of their appearance or personality yeah. that's mean and is like, that's their defining factor now. It is, I mean, fair enough. It paints a pretty vivid picture, but it is crazy. There's it's very so, blunt and there's rude. no humanity in it. Yeah. It's so mean. I'm like, this must be what it's like to live in a bully's head. <laughs> so, so he's looking at everything around and he finds fault with the simple accommodations and the mismatched tea set. He did not like anyone to see his mother living in such circumstances. When he was king, it would not do for such tales to be noised about. Next time I come to visit, I shall bring you a proper tea set, mother. I know you are fond of these old pieces, but really. And there is food set out, and he helps himself to a piece of warm bread. His mother is gabbling away at him as she pours him a cup of tea and offers him the only chair at the table. He seated himself gratefully. So he has a wave of nostalgia for these humble foods that fill him with memories. But those memories belong to the world of a very small boy, coddled and indulged and safe beyond all imagining. All that had been betrayed nearly 35 years ago. Odd that he had such a sweet taste could summon up such bitterness. He ate the rest of his bread and three more pieces caught between enjoyment and painful memory. The others joined him at the table, uh, obeying his mother's gestures to stand about it, but only the priest demurred. So they are kind of, he, he remarks that everyone is kind of struck dumb by his mother's muteness. Yeah. So they're all just kind of like nodding and like mm -hmm, not really talking and they just don't, kind of enjoying the meal. Yeah. They don't really know how to act. Yeah. They're not. It's a weird situation. Yeah. It's definitely weird. And I mean. I'm glad he brought these people in for his mom because I think leaving her there alone is pretty heartless. <laughs> and I know that it's because he doesn't want her to be in danger. Like it definitely stems from a place of wanting to make sure that she stays alive. Yeah. But I'm glad that he has now gotten to a point where it's like, I'm going to leave somebody there so mm -hmm. that at least she can have help. Yeah. And it is pretty heartless. And, is. and with the description, her dumbness seemed contagious. Ankle appeared almost competent in this humble setting. Yeah, it's... Oh, man. Kenneth. That's your mom, dude. And that's a girl. Yeah, like... Uh, I don't know. And, it, like, you don't have to like your family. That's, like, whatever. But Kenneth's mom has not done anything that we have known, that we are made aware of, that would make him not like her. Right. She just just overbearing and reminds him of bad self. Like you can see in that passage when he eats the bread, the simple foods that bring back bitter memories. Yeah. I think he's just, like you said before, very vulnerable here and hates being recalled to this because it's not fixed yet. Right. The big right. house isn't fixed. So he hates being here. Yeah. That, that is a good point that it's definitely stemming from that, but it is really I don't know. I I also really like that detail, though, the, these details, but especially the one where 
he's this guy who loves opulence. Everything we know about Kenneth is that nothing's good enough for him. And then here we have him in this cottage in the middle of this island and he's warm bread yeah with some jam (laughs) warm bread jam and butter and honestly i had some today delicious (laughs) so good so (laughs) but it's so such a weird juxtaposition with who we know him as and then who he is here Mm -hmm. and the little bits peeking through of actual kennett i think but he he just really works hard on shoving that down He finishes his tea and rises from the table and once again talks over his mother, saying, I I must be going. Now don't start. You know I can't stay. I won't forget the teacups, I promise you. I'll bring them the next time I come. Because she's looking into his eyes and the pleading is obvious there, but he chooses to misunderstand, of course, and just says, oh, no, it's the teacups. I'll bring them all with the pretty little designs you like. I know exactly what you like. Blah, blah, blah. And he kind of overrides her and just, yep, everything's to my liking. I'm going to keep it moving and keep it how I like it now. (laughs) Right. It occurred to him, eventually, he could select others to come and live here on the island. It could become his secret kingdom within a kingdom. So he's already looking towards the future with this. He's feeling very very fatherlike when he's you know saying hey you got that baby on the way expect it to be growing and another one maybe even yeah we have <laughs> jovial like, kennett like oh can't wait to see the family you guys make mm-hmm. ankle be well just the <laughs> patriarch of the whole clan yeah and it really i i kind of love that in this moment it's like yeah i have something good here i'm building something good and i can make it better I can decide who comes here. And you see that little bit of needing to be in control, how mm-hmm. every detail needs to be in his control. And and it's paired up with the next scene with him being like, oh, she surrendered as she always did, but she starts to weep as she always did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you <laughs> it like made no sense to him. Yeah. You definitely see the need for control from Kenneth and you can tell why. Mm-hmm. And then Surprising everybody, of course. Sahadar's like, I'm not staying here. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. Kenneth paused to stare at him. Oh? No, I'm going back to the ship with you. Kenneth considered this. A pity. I am so sure my mother would have enjoyed having you here. You're certain you won't reconsider? The pirate's smooth courtesy seemed to rattle Sahadar. He looked all around himself. Kenneth's mother still wept. Ankle had approached her and was cautiously patting the old woman's shoulder. Dej and Sela looked only at Kennet. Their alert and expectant waiting reminded Kennet of well-trained hunting dogs. He made a small hand motion. The two map faces relaxed slightly but remained attentive. The priest looked back at Kennet. No, I will not stay. There is nothing here for me. Kennet gave a small sigh. I was, show- I was so sure you'd stay. Certain of it. Well... If you will not stay, at least do something for my mother before you depart. Bless the house or cow. Sadar gave him a disdainful look. I suppose I could do that. I know you could. Take your time. As you have noticed, I do not move swiftly these days. I will await you at the beach. You can row the boat for me. Kenneth could see the priest weighing this. He knew the pirate could not outrun him. There was a small chance he could launch, launch the gig alone. 
Saadar gave a grudging nod. I'll be right along. I'll put a blessing on her house and her garden. How kind of you. I shall wait for you on the beach then. Farewell, mother. I shan't forget your teacups. Captain? Sayla dared to ask softly. Will you want any help to launch the boat? She gave the priest a narrowed sideways glance as she spoke. Her offer was plain. He managed a smile. No, thank you all the same. I am sure the priest and I can manage it. You stay here and get settled in. Farewell. So this is... A- another secret part of this. Because yeah. we know Kenneth does not act like this. Nope. 100% we know Kenneth does not act like this. This is how he acts whenever he's putting on a face for yeah. uh, Vivacia. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Another play, just like earlier... Of what a fine evening it is. So something's coming, and he limps out, and he starts on his way back to the boat. My only question for you is, at this point at least, do you think Kenneth really thought Sadar was going to stay? I think there was a chance that, that Kenneth was hoping for, because I think he really did want his mother to have a priest there and it would be very neat for them to all kind of just be, him be done with it. Right. Yeah. And I think Kenneth was banking on the chance that Saadar would want to get to Kyle that badly mm. that he would stay just for like the opportunity to maybe kill him himself. You right. Know? But I don't think he completely, it was completely unexpected that he said no. Okay. I think Kenneth's the kind of guy just like, this is possible, and it would be very nice if it was. But if not, I can deal with it. Okay. Because why else would you bring a knife? True. True. You're right. But that's why I'm like, what? what's his plan all along just to kill Sadar? Or was he actually planning on letting Sadar live if Sadar said he'd stay here? I, th- I think he would have let him live mm-hmm. if he stayed there. There's there's no real need, and why would you introduce the priest to your mom then? The mother that he doesn't really want to, like, terrorize? Yeah, fair enough. And then instantly have your your new neighbors kill him. (laughs) Don't worry, Mom. We'll get rid of him. (laughs) So he is walking his way back to the beach, and he is thinking on things, thinking it over. He decided he did not need to fear treachery from the priest, not just yet anyway. Sa'adar needed him to return to the ship. He would not be welcomed aboard without the captain. So he gets back to the beach and he's thinking he's so weary. He could scarcely lift his leg high enough for the peg to clear the sand. He reached the gig and sat down. The tide was coming in. Soon the boat would be afloat, but it promised to be a long row back to the ship. Had he overestimated his strength? He wanted to drowse. So we get more talk about how exhausted he is and how this is very, very strenuous on his newly healed body or still healing body. And he spurred himself wondering if the priest delayed, uh, delayed coming back to him to visit Captain Haven. No, Dej would not allow that. Not unless they had been in league all along. If that were so, they would come soon to kill him. They would have killed his mother already, of course. They would have found his treasure carefully stowed in the big house. They would come to kill him because he had been so stupid. What would they do then? They could not return to the ship. Alternatively, could they? 
Was there enough treasure there to buy Sorcor and Etta, Wintrow and Brig? Perhaps. His heart grew cold with anger at his own stupidity. Then he smiled a wolf's, wolf's smile. Perhaps there was enough treasure to buy human hearts, but not vivacious. The, the ship had already come to love him. He knew that. One could not buy nor steal the heart of a live ship. The heart of a live ship was true. Igrit had proved that many years ago. I have two things about this. Yeah. First, the most recent. If a live ship's heart is true, how did he get into it? This isn't his live ship. This is not his family's well, live ship. It's still true to Wintro, but you can't do incredible harm to the bonded person and have the live ship thank you and welcome you into their heart. Wintro is also enamored of Kenneth. Mm-hmm. He's thinking of Paragon here, right? Right. Paragon wasn't swayed or bought by Igret. Igret had to keep Kenneth there. Yeah. But he terrorized and traumatized Kenneth. And Paragon brought Kenneth back to life multiple times. Right. But Kenneth really hasn't done much to Wintro. Wintro has the run of the ship. Wintro has been taken under his wing. He had a connection with Kenneth. But this isn't about Wintro because he thinks Wintro can be bought. Yes. So if he believes Wintro can be bought, how then is Vivacia safe from being turned away from him? Because they won't do him harm. No, in this situation, he's already dead. Oh, that's right. Hmm. He he is well because I think in his mind, with Vivacia having bonded him and having Kenneth dead, he Vivacia will not go along with any of the killers boarding her. Okay, that's what like they're talking about because they were talking about like oh he they wouldn't be welcome back on board unless they bought off all of these people. And he's like oh, but the ship wouldn't let them on board either. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because I'm like, okay, well, you're not actually bonded <laughs> to her. It's not actually your ship. So. <laughs> so that's the most recent thing you said you had two. Yes. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is his spiraling here. Yeah. All it takes is a, something to not go perfectly to the way he planned mm-hmm. it. And all of a sudden, Everybody's out to get him. He made a horrible decision. Everybody's dead. His mom's dead. His treasure's gone. He's going to be dead. It's not the first time he's thought about it. No. And I think after this chapter, seeing this, we know why. This is a very vulnerable Mm -hmm. thing that he has done. And he was fine and happy. And just a few paragraphs ago, the patriarchal figure of the town and you know, shooting finger guns at everybody saying, see you next Tuesday. And now he is spiraling in this sense of, oh my gosh, they're all, they're all out to get me. They're going to destroy everything. And I think it goes back to what he was saying about his mother keeps this bear home in thought and because she thinks that will save her. Right. And people always are greedy. There are always greedy people out there having nothing doesn't stop them. And I think that's one of his core beliefs. And that belief here 
is why he can't, as soon as things are outside of his, his eyesight, his eyeline, his direct control, he just has to trust that people are going to do the right thing. Right. He can't do that. And I feel really bad for him that that is just a lasting thing for him. He will never trust anyone fully. And Kenneth smiled as he prepared himself and waited. Yeah. Prepared himself for the whole crew to come over and kill him. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so sad. And it's even worse because he can't even mourn the fact that maybe his mother is dead because he can't admit that he cares. Yeah. He is just pushing it all so far. He is the embodiment of prepare for the worst. Yeah. And he does not hope for the best. <laughs> no, no, he never hopes <laughs> for the no best. There's no hope there. <laughs> no, no hoping. There's trust to luck. That's it. Yeah. But eventually he does see Sa'adar stamping towards him like an angry man. So, Kenneth thought to himself, you did try to sway Dej to your cause. You failed. As he approached, Kenneth climbed into the gig and seated himself on the rowing seat. He did not bother with a greeting. Push it out into the water. Sadar glared at him. It would be easier if the gig were empty. Probably, Kenneth agreed affably. He didn't move. That is so funny to me. Like Kenneth in this scene is very funny. It's like I know he's about to murder this man, but <laughs> but like this is a comedy right here. Like mm-hmm. every interaction so far with Sadar has been a comedy. Kenneth really just doesn't give an F about no, anything to do with Sadar. Sadar's like, complain, complain, complain. And Kenneth's like, okay, <laughs> what do you want me to do about that? Sounds like a you problem. <laughs> you need me. <laughs> yeah, literally. As much as Kenneth's a horrible person, I love Kenneth and this, like, yeah. that aspect of him coming through here. So yeah, he's like, yeah, you're right. Would be easier. Anyway, get to it. <laughs> so Sadar is the person who has to push the boat in and launch it. And Kenneth is giving him directions like, keep pushing or she'll beach again. <laughs> in my head, I have this image. Sadar is like pushing really hard and nothing's happening. Kenneth's like, you have to wait for a wave. Like so bored over it. Like, come on, dude, you should know. And Sadar is like just getting more and more angry and red in the face. And then mm-hmm. Kenneth's like, nope, don't stop now. <laughs> Soon popcorn. Sa- yeah. Soon Sa'adar was waiting alongside, trying to pull himself over and into the boat. Kenneth pulled steadily at the oars. So it's been a while since he's rowed, and he's bracing his leg ag- peg against the bottom of the boat to keep it from slipping. And even so, it was difficult to pull evenly. A wave of desolation engulfed him as he decided that nothing would ever be completely as it had been. Wait, Sa'adar complained as he scrabbled to get aboard. Kenneth ignored him and continued to row. Sadar was still only halfway in when the next wave lifted the gig. The priest clambered aboard like a landsman, gasping and shivering as the brisk sea wind hit his soaked clothing. Once he was well aboard, Kenneth shipped the oars. It pleased him that even with a peg and crutch, he moved more gracefully than Sadar as he shifted his seat. The priest, arms clutched about himself, sneered at him. You expect me to row? It will warm you, Kenneth pointed out. He sat in the bow, holding his crutch, and watched Sadar struggle. Rung a gig, even on a calm day, soon becomes serious work. So he's being Captain Kennet, King Kennet here, directing his crew, his crew of one, to do all the work and tiring Sa'adar out. Yes. I find it so interesting. I mean, obviously Kennet's doing this for a greater purpose and because he's going to kill Sa'adar. But it's crazy to me that Sa'adar feels like 
he's entitled entitled to do nothing in this instance. You know, like he's in shock and horror that he has to be the one to push. The sole person rowing. Yeah, but there's only, I guess they could each have a oar. Each have an oar. But Kenan's a captain of a ship. I don't know. Like, not that. Not that I believe in hierarchy, but, but there is kind of a social hierarchy in life. Also, Kenneth is missing a leg, so you'd think that there would be that aspect of even just wanting yeah, but he to. He was rowing just thirty. I seconds know. Before. I mean, like, <laughs> it's he's definitely fine, and missing part of your leg doesn't mean you can't use your arms. <laughs> but I'm just saying that you'd think that as a former priest, there'd be compassion of like, oh, I will help out, and like, I don't anything nah sadar's like why do i have to do it and Kenneth's like because i told you to and it works question mark but like Kenneth said he needs sadar needs Kenneth to board the ship again true so he has to go along with anything he says fair enough the progress is slow but Kenneth is unconcerned he could see sadar's impatience to be back aboard the ship and the furious energy he poured into his task he decided to engage him in conversation as well. So, are you satisfied with the justice meted out to Captain Haven? I wanted to see him before I left, to spit on him one more time and wish him joy of his chains and darkness. Dej would not let me. He and Sela both turned on me. But for me, they'd be slaves in Chalced right now. They would not be together still, and Sela's child could celebrate his birth with a tattoo on his face. He was panting now. And kind of directs him, you know... Keep the nose to the waves, go this way, fix your eyes on that, and row towards it. And Sadar is exasperating, saying, one man cannot row this, you should take the bench beside me and help. It took four rowers to get us ashore. And Kenneth's like, ah, it was more heavy then. Besides, I am greatly wearied from our hike. In time, perhaps, I shall take a turn at the oars and let you rest, he says. And I thought, as a rereader, that was a very nice touch of small foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Kenneth turns his face to the breeze and closes his eyes to slits. The bright sun danced on the moving water. Suddenly, even his weariness felt good. This was something he had needed to do. He had taken independent physical action on his own. He had proved to himself that he could still sway others to his will with little more than words. I do want to note that it does say sun, so that means that he did not wake up in the middle of the night, like I said in the the beginning of this episode. It was very early morning. It could have been the middle of the night because they've been there for a while. This it wasn't a quick thing. You yeah, know? that's true. His body had been diminished, but it was sufficient to his ambition. He would triumph. King Kennet. King Kennet of the Pirate Isles. Would he someday have a palace on Key Island? Perhaps after his mother had died, he could establish himself there. As his father had once foreseen, the opening to the bay in Keyhole Island could be easily fortified. It would make a wonderful stronghold. He was still building his towers when Sa'adar spoke again. I'm happy to see this in the book that Kenneth is still viewing himself as a whole person. I like that. I like that this gave him more of that confidence back and that he admits that he did just need to do something for himself again. Like, I feel like it'd be really easy to write off a disabled character as less than their former self. But Kenneth 
isn't. Right. Kenneth is still Kenneth. He just also has a peg leg now. And I really, really like that. I think that's a really important thing that Hobb does here. And I think that's an important thing for a writer to do anyway, is just to have a disabled person just be a person with a disability and not Mm -hmm. half of a person, especially because he started off not disabled. So I, I just wanted to call that out because I really do appreciate that. And I, I like it. I like that he still kind of, and he did it and he proved to himself that he still has all the sway he had before. Mm -hmm. And now there's new ways he can maneuver himself to attack people as he found (laughs) out earlier. (laughs) So I don't know. It's just, I don't, that just makes me really happy whenever I read that. I was like, oh, <laughs> like also still a horrible person, but hey. <laughs> At least you're feeling better about yourself. Yeah, good for you. So Kenneth starts the confrontation with Saadar here. The rowing has made Saadar very tired. He's panting. And Saadar does ask, shouldn't we be able to see the ship? Yeah. Yep. So he's panting here and... Kenneth's just saying, keep rowing. And Sadar says, the journey did not seem to take this long last night. Things never seem to take as long or be as hard as when someone else is doing the work. It is much like captaining a ship. It seems easy when someone else is doing it. Do you mock me? Kenneth shook his head sadly. You do me wrong. Is it mockery to tell a man a thing he should have learned long ago? That ship, by rights, is mine. We had already taken it when you came. There, you see, if I had not come alongside and put a prize crew aboard, the Vivacia would be at the bottom now. Not even a live ship can sail herself completely. We would have managed. Sadar abruptly flung the oars down. When started to slip through the oarlock into the water, he snatched at it, pulled it half into the boat. Damn you, take a turn at this, he gasped. I'm as good as you are. I will be treated... I. I will be treated like your slave no longer. Slave? I have asked no more of you than I would any ordinary seaman. I'm not yours to command. I never will be, nor will I give up my claim to the ship. Wherever we go, I shall be sure that all hear of your injustice and greed. How so many can adulate you, I do not know. There is your poor mother, abandoned to a harsher life, for saw knows how long. You return to visit her for less than half a day, leaving only a trunk full of trinkets and a half-wit servant to wait on her. How can you treat your own mother so? Is not a man's mother to be ever revered as the symbol of the female aspect of saw? Nevertheless, you treat her as you treat everyone else, as a servant. She tried to speak to me, poor thing. I could not make out what distressed her so, but it was not a lack of teacups. Kenneth could not help himself. He laughed aloud. It incensed the other man so that his face grew even redder. So he's angering Sa'adar, and he doesn't care about what Sa'adar thinks at all. Doesn't no. bother him one bit. And it, it kind of seems like it really doesn't bother him. Yeah. Because not even in his internal monologue are we getting... Like, I'm trying to hold back my anger or I don't like this. literally couldn't help himself but laugh aloud at Sadar. He's actually laughing. And then just enacts the next part of his plan because he looks about, he looks towards the ships and like, I could probably make that by myself. Yeah. Yeah. They're still a little bit out of view, so nobody will see what happens. Mm -hmm. But I do want to know from your point of view, is he laughing because it's about 
saw Adar thinking he'll have the chance to tell people what he saw? Like, you're going to be no, dead maybe. soon, it doesn't matter. Or is he laughing because that's just so far from the truth? Yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe a bit of both. Me? Yeah. I didn't really thought about it. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, obviously, yeah, his mom is alone and abandoned. But I don't think Kenneth sees it as him abandoning his mom. No, I think it's... He sees it as his mom wanting to live like that. And also he's protecting her by not bringing other people there. True. Or before now, obviously. So he says Saadar, says to Saadar, you forget yourself, but here, I'll row for a bit while you recover. And that calms Saadar down a bit. So Saadar rises up in a stiff half crouch. He's waiting for Kenneth to change places with him. Kenneth tries to rise from his own bench, but sits down heavily again and holds up his crutch for Sadar to help pull him up. When I give the word, you heave me to my feet. Once I'm up, I'll wager I can move about. Sadar grips the crutch end. Now, he tries to rise and he sits down heavily once more. Again, he commanded the priest, and this time, put your back into it. The weary man took a double-handed grip on the crutch. Kenneth made his own his made better his own clutch upon it. Now, he commanded him, as the priest heaved, the pirate suddenly thrust forward, shoving with all his strength upon the crutch. It hit the priest in the chest, and he went flailing wildly backwards. Kenneth had hoped for a clean splash overboard. Instead the man fell athwart the gunwales, almost out of the boat, but not quite. Quick as a tiger springing, Kenneth flung himself forward, he kept his weight low as the landsman had not. He gripped one of Saadar's feet and lifted it high. The man went over, but as he went, he launched a, launched a kick at Kenneth that slammed his bare foot hard into Kenneth's face. He seated the oars well in the oarlocks and began to pull mightily, even as the blood is flowing from his nose. He pushes Saadar over, starts rowing away, and Kenneth had expected the man's head to go under again, but he's a swimmer. <laughs> Kenneth had not reckoned on that. Yeah, who would have known that this random priest knows how to swim? It was a pity the sea was warmer here in these island waters. He couldn't count on the cold to kill him quickly. He might have to do it himself. Kenneth did not strain. He set a steady pace and had not lied to Sadar. He had been stiff, but he was loosening up with the oar work. The priest swam with swift, frantic strokes of a desperate man. He was gaining on the small boat. And when he was close, Kenneth ships the oars and just calmly waits with his knife. Yeah, this is kind of crazy because Kenneth is so calm. Oh, he's so calm, so methodical, and he knows exactly what to do. He doesn't overextend himself. Yeah. He doesn't go for a killing stroke. He's just stabbing and slashing at the hands so Saadar can't get into the boat. Yeah, it's very like, it's very well thought out. It's very... There's no emotion behind it. Yeah, it is very psycho. But I think this is the first time we've seen Kenneth kill somebody. Uh, No, we we were with him when he boarded the merchant ship and started killing everybody with his sword before. Yeah, right when he got his serpent. But I mean, that was yeah, that was more of a show, right? That wasn't like him killing somebody to keep a secret. Oh no, yeah, this is the first like murder. Yeah, this is him doing this for himself and i mean even then i think we commented on how he has very little emotion killing others but this especially is very 
This is a very vivid image, too, because yeah. it says that Kenneth is silent as death itself while the priest cursed him, screamed, and then begged for his life. And it's just like sitting yeah. in a boat, in water, stabbing and slashing, quiet. I'm imagining him impassive-faced, yeah, like blank, just kind of... Just watching to see mm-hmm. what happens next to make the, me- the next move. The fact that he's sitting there calculating, I could go for a death blow, but that would put me in range to also be pulled into, pulled the, water, into yeah. the water. It'd be harder for me to get back up mm-hmm. or, and I don't need to be greedy. I just have to be patient. That's insane. When he seized hold of the side and clung there stubbornly, the pirate risked a blinding slash across the man's face. Still, he clutched the side, begging and praying to be allowed to live. It infuriated Kenneth. I tried to let you live, he roared at him. All you had to do was what I wanted you to do. You refused me. So, he risked a stab and the dagger went deep into the side of the man's throat. In an instant, his hands were warm and slick with blood thicker and more salt than the sea itself. The priest fell away suddenly. Kenneth released the haft of the dagger and let him go. For a wave, then two, he bobbed face down on the water. Then the sea swallowed him up. He wipes his hands down in the front of his coat and says it was done and he would live. He took up the oars in his hands that had begun to blister, but that didn't matter. He knew it as surely as he knew his luck was still with him. He lifted his eyes to scan the horizon. Not so far to go, and he'd be where the ship's lookouts could spot him. I'll wager Vivacious sees me before any of them. He smiles to himself. I'll wager she knows right now that I'm coming back to her. Watch for me, my lady. Cast those about those lovely eyes. Perhaps I should close. Perhaps I should open those eyes for her. Suggested a small voice close by. Kenneth nearly lost his grip on the oars. The charm has come to life once again after being quiet for so long. Yes. He's very triumphant. He's the return of his luck and. Now the charm speaks up. What would she think of her Captain Bold if she knew you as well as I do? Methinks she would think you a liar. She has been with me and knows my deepest heart. She and the boy both have, and they love me still. They may think they have, the charm conceded bitterly, but only one creature has ever seen to the bottom of your dark, dirty heart and still chosen loyalty to you. You refer to yourself, I assume, Cousin Kenneth hazarded, You have little choice in the matter, Charm. You are bound to me. As tightly as you are bound to me, the Charm replied. I think he's talking about Paragon there. Yeah. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah, yeah. I don't think think the Charm means himself. Mm -hmm. Also, I did want to point out something that was skimmed over. The Charm is covered in Sadar's blood here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because there's blood on Kenneth's hands dripping down. So... With what we know about Wizardwood magic, a little bit of Sadar still in. Although you can reject it, apparently, because Paragon does that at the end of the the trilogy. He rejects Kyle Haven's blood. <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah. What? But then why can't I don't Vivacia know. do I that? Do not ask me because it's special case Paragon once again. He's a special boy. Yeah. Okay. I guess fully realized with all of the memories of I don't, I don't know. know. Uh whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So anyway, we're gonna assume that's special case for Paragon. Yeah. So 
a little bit of Sadar in there. Yeah, maybe. Which also might explain why later he becomes so adamant about not talking once Kenneth's gone and just like nobody can control me sort of thing. I, <laughs> yeah, I feel like maybe. that's really like yeah. gonna be good for the charm. Okay, okay. Nice little um, canon explanation why he never talks again after Kenneth dies. Yeah, just sheer willingness not to, to <laughs> not to be, be controlled alone, yeah well because did kenneth put any of his blood on the charm i don't i don't know maybe it doesn't say so it, he just wore it for a while yeah and it awoke so maybe it's actually sadar's charm mm. that's just a thought i had as i was reading this but also i think it's really interesting that he, the charm, is saying only one creature has ever seen to the bottom of your dark, dirty heart and still chosen loyalty. Because that means that Kenneth had, like, not a great heart to begin with, right? I mean, Maybe the charm just, just insults him constantly, fair. so it could just be that. Fair. But Kenneth says, you're bound to me, you don't have a choice, because he misunderstands. I suggest you make the best of it and do the duty you were created to do. Perhaps that way we shall both live longer. I was never created for any duty to you, the charm informed him, nor does my life depend upon yours. But for the sake of another, I will do what I can to preserve you, at least for a time. So Kenneth kind of reflects on that, says his luck was holding, and with luck a man could do much. Who do you think that one person, for the sake of another, is? Etta. Yeah. 100%. I mean, it's pretty obvious, actually. Yeah. But it's... The charm's got a little crush. I think she sees in Etta what Vivacia sees in Malta. Just that, like, that fierce personality again. Yeah. I would agree. I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting to have a charm... That is somewhat bonded to Kenneth and doesn't like him. I think, I mean, I guess you don't have to like the people you're bonded to. Right. And it, like you said, I think there is a lot of consent in this sort of bond and two way street. And I don't think Kenneth ever gets anything from the charm. The charm only talks out loud to Kenneth when he wants to. Right. There is no internal sharing of anything that we can tell. But somehow the charm has seen through to the heart of Kenneth, question mark. I don't know. Maybe because Kenneth believed he had to do that for the luck to work or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But it's interesting. And I think I'm really excited to continue on again. <laughs> it was a good breath of fresh air chapter. True, true. And Kenneth's luck is holding. Yeah. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. If you have any questions or thoughts or theories, please let us know at isfitshappy at gmail.com. Or you can message us or leave comments on any of our posts. Isfitshappy on all of our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, threads, YouTube, all of those, same place. Or isfitshappy.com and you can find all those links as well. Yeah. See you next week. So now we're going to talk about some stuff that you guys have brought to our attention. 
this week, we're going to start with a comment from Kate on Instagram. And the comment is about the dream boxes. So Kate's theory is that the dream box powder is wizard wood. Yeah, which is what like you were kind of thinking about before. We were talking about like we, silver. Yeah, right? we were thinking maybe powdered silver, but, but like we we talked about the wizard wood thing and I and I was skeptical on that because it'd be very very valuable. Yeah. But Kate does also point out it is never said to be an elderling tradition. This is right. a rainwild tradition. So It's hard to it, say like there's not a ton of yeah. Yeah. So it's hard. one way or the other. Exactly. But I will say, if it wasn't an elderling tradition, how did they get it to work? Because I feel True. like a lot of the magic and making the magic work comes from people steeping themselves in the memory to figure out more about it. Mm-hmm. Some people just get lost along the way. But it seems to be that the idea is that they get into the memories of the elderling city to know how things work so they can sell it. Yeah. I guess I don't know for sure if that's what happens with every single object. And maybe it was found by accident that if you, I I mean, I still don't even know how it works because you have to have an item from somebody. There's a lot of questions about it. Yeah. 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 So I don't know, but I do really like the idea that it's wizard wood and that it's not an elderling tradition. It's something that the rain wild people made up. So I like that. Thank you, Kate. Next, we're going to talk about a comment on Facebook from listener Bastion. And this comment covers a couple different topics. We'll start with Brashen and Amber's conversation in... Last episode. Yes, last episode. And in this conversation, Amber is talking about how it's easy to face death willingly without without flinching yes without flinching it's way harder that's not what true bravery is i think they're talking about yeah yeah true bravery is living or something along those lines Mm -hmm. fashion thinks that amber is referring to themselves there because they see their own death coming and they are always flinching from it so it's kind of a like a self-referential, like almost everyone can do this, but yeah, yeah, they're kind of talking about themselves as well that they can't. <laughs> yeah, because specifically Amber does say almost anyone can mm-hmm. face. I think I just said anyone can face death, but yeah. it's specifically almost anyone. And so the almost is referring to Amber, which I really like the idea of. And I like that because Fool is and Beloved and Amber they they are very reticent to accept the death. I mean, they still go forward. They still go towards that future and know that that's the path they have to take if they want the outcome that yeah. they're hoping for. But yeah, they... I like the connection from this. I just don't know if it's in the right place of the story for that connection to make sense. You know what I mean? Like, they haven't really faced death. At you this don't... point. And they haven't run from it. I mean, Tawny Man is where they really get into it. And then the final trilogy as well. But do you think that 
you don't think they've already had a vision? Beloved has already had a vision of death for them? Maybe. But they'd be more focused on the current stuff. And if it is of, well, remember, it's not of their death, right? They just don't see beyond something. And they're like, that means I must die. Yeah. I don't think Amber's dwelling on that right now. It just seems the wrong place of the story for that to be the obvious connection and them dwelling on it so much that it comes out in that speech. To me, it just doesn't make sense. Oh, I think it makes perfect sense because of how they act the closer they get to the death. And just because they're not, that's not happening right now doesn't mean that they're not worried about when it does happen, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Bastion also has a comment about how the cocoon gets out into the light. Yes, we um, asked for that, um, how it actually happens. <laughs> yes. So Tataglia gives Malta elderling memories to allow her to open the dome, but mm-hmm. an earthquake prevents her from opening it properly. Then Rain and Selden arrive. They manage to open it due to the earthquake. And most of the mass upon the dome is removed, which because allows of that earthquake. Yeah, yeah, which allows sunlight to the cocoon. Mm-hmm. Which so, yeah, that's what I thought kind of happened. I didn't think that she moved it at all because we were talking about yeah how the I was, size of these things. I just I remember her have like interacting with elderling memories. That I remember the memories coming into play, and I know that the lever is pulled. I just couldn't figure out how. The covered dome. I can't. I couldn't remember the aspect of the covered dome being uncovered. How that worked out. Yeah. That's why I was like, I remember there. Yeah. yeah, I remember there being dirt, but to me, it felt like she came out of a cave or something. So that's why I thought maybe (laughs) she opened the side door. I don't know. But thank you for letting us know officially what happens. Mm -hmm. And then, finally, uh, Bastion also lets us know that Tintaglia and Centara are both blue. Yes. They also uh, explain, you know, some of the other colors and stuff and just that all the dragons are not the same shade, Mm -hmm. but there are multiple of the same color amongst the dragons. Yes. And apparently blue is one of the most common colors. Yeah. I forgot about that. When Bastion wrote in that Centaur was annoyed that she was blue, when we get her point of view, because that's very common... I forgot about that until Bastion mentioned it, but I do recall reading that part Yes, in yeah. the Rainwild Chronicles. It's so funny. I feel like my brain is very smooth when it comes to absorbing the memories of what happens in these novels, the like little intricate details. It all just washes right off. Um, so thank you to everyone who writes in and lets us know what we're missing. Right, and yeah. also Bastion in this case specifically, because we very much enjoy having the details to remind us what we have to look forward to. So thank you. We're professional podcasters and we definitely know what happens in all of these 16 books. (laughs) Listen. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And finally, we have a message from Hedwig on Facebook as well, who is writing in to just kind of bring their perspective on how, Kenneth can sway Vivacia to his side so quickly. And it brings up a really good point, too, that I hadn't really thought of. But the language that he uses, all of the grandiose compliments, 
is very, very reminiscent of how Selden acts with Tintaglia and how we see the dragon singers, like the bards act with other dragons and elderling memories as well. They just flower with that praise. They just shower them yeah, in that kind of language. And they all, as Hedwig puts it, melt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really a way into a uh, dragon's heart is to give lots of compliments, mm-hmm. which really play on their... Very relatable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and Hedwig also says that in a roundabout way this is kind of due to Kenneth's luck right that this works out so well that. Yeah, yeah yeah and so yeah I really like that I really enjoy the idea that it's because he is giving into that dragon side for vivacia mm-hmm. yeah so thank you yeah thank you Hedwig thank you everyone for writing in and for telling us how you feel and giving us your thoughts uh, we always enjoy seeing opinions and thoughts and corrections and we thank you guys for being so vocal in our community we really like hearing from you guys so we will see you next week Music